Hello and welcome to a final Hooter special with me, Dave Parkinson. Now, the big story for the last few weeks has been the Toronto Wolfpack. And to be honest, it's been a massive story ever since Toronto uh, was first spoken about a few years ago by Eric Perez and the club was set up. I think what has come to pass in the last few weeks is the fact that far more information has become available uh, out in the general rugby league uh, public and I'll admit, I was against Toronto in the first place. I don't think they helped themselves with the way that they went about the business, first of all. Um, you know, as a, a as a Lee fan, uh, I felt that some of their approaches for players at the time didn't seem to, uh, well, they didn't seem to sit right with me. Uh, obviously, uh, with the recruitment of Paul Rowley there, they took a lot of Lee players and former Lee players over there. And I don't know, there just seemed to be a real inflated fake rivalry set up between the two, um, which kind of worked. It worked in Toronto's favour for a couple of years. It worked in favour of Paul Rowley for when they were coming up against Lee Centurions in particular. Um, but I think you've got to look far, far deeper than that. And I was always concerned with regards to the amount of development work that was actually taking place in Canada, whether it was the right country to take rugby league in the first place. And, you know, that's something that throughout throughout my discussions, it would be fair to say, and points that I've raised on Twitter, um, I've always been wondering just what Toronto are bringing to the sport. And perhaps I've been small-minded. Perhaps I've just been looking at it from... The totally traditional point of view. Obviously, here in the UK, we have a number of clubs that are very old in regards to the fact that they've been around for 100 plus years. Toronto, new kids on the block, coming at it with a bit of a brash, newfound uh, attitude, which, you know, they put out some excellent social media, uh, really did rankle some people. I think the way that the Canadian fans took to it, they operate and back their clubs in a completely different way from what we have seen over here and uh, they were seen as the upstart club I guess but again I just want to reflect back on what Eric Perez very recently has come up with in his interviews with Sky and I heard him speaking on the radio a few days ago uh, all about the Ottawa experience and I'm really looking forward to them getting in the league. I'm not averse to pushing rugby league to new markets. For goodness sake, I went on a tour with Barla to Fiji and I think that, that opened my eyes to just how far rugby league can get and you know where it needs the backing as well. Um, and I just wonder whether ultimately early on there was enough um, groundwork done to see whether rugby league could get a foothold. Obviously, it has a massive interest foothold. 9,000 people watching a club on a regular basis is not to be sniffed at. I think, as you're going to hear from uh, my guests, to, to get 9,000 people watching rugby league in Canada, well, that's better than the likes of Wakefield and Huddersfield in Super League. It's better than, you know, all of those clubs which are in the, the, the lower divisions, if you like, over here in the UK. And I'm glad to say that, you know, maybe my thought process has kind of changed and been changed through kind of hearing a lot of different views because I got to speak to some really interesting people over the last couple of weeks is I want to 
uh, put you onto them and then you can hear their thoughts in a more fuller version than you might have heard on our last final hooter. So welcome to this Toronto special and it's over to the guests who I interviewed over the last few days. I'm delighted that I'm able to speak to Henry Whitfield and Scott Northland, two esteemed Wolfpack fans from all the way over in Toronto. How are you doing, fellas? Uh, doing great. It's uh, it's great to be here and to chat. Esteemed might be overselling it, maybe antagonistic, or uh, there's other words we've definitely had to, uh, to describe as. Esteemed might not be one of them. Uh, well, you're esteemed to me. So... We're coming into this story sort of like two or three weeks now after Toronto uh, unfortunately gave the news that they wouldn't be able to compete in Super League for the rest of this year. Uh, what were your feelings and your thoughts when you both heard that news, first of all? I mean, there, there's disappointment for sure. It's kind of come in stages for us. Uh, when when coronavirus kind of came across, we, we, we assumed pretty quickly, and Scott actually works in government, so... Uh, I think he was probably the most pragmatic of all of us is we knew pretty certainly we were not going to get rugby league in Canada at the very least way before they announced it. So it's kind of been a series of blows. I think we were shocked, but not too surprised, kind of similar to the response we got from, from Elstone and Super League is that there's a lot of challenges behind the scenes. We've heard the bubbling about visas. We knew that there were seven players having issues. We, we, we'd heard rumblings about payments and all these other things. And logistically, when you lose all your home income and you lose all this revenue and you've now going to be spending a lot more money, we've been having conversations, Scott and some of the guys over here is it just doesn't make sense to play. What are they playing for? And if you look at all these other leagues like league one or championship that have folded or even how they're doing it in North America with a lot of sports, it's the question is like, why are they playing? And when the Wolfpack pulled out, it made a lot of sense. Obviously it's upset a lot of people and there's, and there's two ways to divide it, but I would say we are disappointed we understood at the end of the day, the long-term reason for shutting down. And that's completely separate to all the payment issues, right? It's pulling out of the, this season should have nothing to do with the payment issues that are late. It's all about the other reasons, like spending another $2 million on playing the season and, and not getting anything out of it. So I think we're disappointed, not really that shocked. And uh, I think more, more disappointed is really just how I feel. Mm. What about yourself, Scott? Obviously, you know, you, you was given the big okay there about getting the news, first of all, really, and be, having your finger <laughs> on the pulse. What what were your thoughts about it? Yeah, I'm sort of the same with Henry. You know, initially it was like, okay, so once COVID hit, it's like, okay, how can we even do this? Like the NHL is doing a complete bubble model. The NBA is doing a bubble model. The MLB is doing a traveling bubble model. We've seen how that's failed. Uh, the MLS has somewhat failed as well. So you're sort of like, okay, how are they going to do a transatlantic bubble? <laughs> like, it's just not going to happen. Um, you know, I, as Henry said, I do work in government. It was sort of like, this is, there's, there's no way if the Blue Jays did not get permission to play in Canada, there's no way the Toronto Wolfpack will. And I think rightfully so. Like, there's no point in risking players that much or risking the public. But, you know, as, you know, it's been continual blows. It's been like, okay, emotionally, like, okay, this sucks. Like, we're not going to see, we're not going to see Wolfpack at all. We're not gonna like potentially never see Sonny Bill Williams play in Toronto, which is brutal. Um, I'm like both me and Henry come from a union background and came over the league later, and I love Sonny Bill Williams growing up. And I was like, oh great, I get to see him in Toronto. I get to make my five hour trek down to Toronto because I actually live in Ottawa. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, and that's not happening. So it's like okay, so now we might have a season. And even the players are like, well, some of them weren't super like pumped to play. Like you know, we'll do it if we have to. 
but at the end of the day, financially, it makes sense for the Wolfpack not to. Like, at, what are they playing for? It's really the TV contract money. Mm-hmm. It comes down to it. Um, as you've seen from Championship League One, they aren't playing, and most of the clubs aren't even going to be participating in that autumn tournament. Yeah, 11, so, 11 clubs have pulled out now, and uh, yeah, it's crazy. There's probably more to come as well, I would guess. You yeah, know, because I, I definitely, and I think that's where we, we get down to it, Dave, is you, the, the Wolfpack need to sort out the issues that are going on. But moving forward, the Wolfpack and Super League and Rugby League need to sort out what role the Wolfpack have in, in Rugby League and really define it and, and, and then move forward, right? It's, uh, I think that's, that's where we're all standing here in Canada. I mean, I, I, I've got to be honest, you know, I, I was perhaps a bit gobby at the time when um, uh, the, the initial thing came out because I didn't understand mm-hmm. possibly a lot of the issues that were taking place behind the scenes, you know. So since then, um, I've seen a couple of things that Eric Perez, for example, has done. He did one with Sky. Mm-hmm. Where he sat down and that was very insightful. And then I, uh, I heard him on uh, one of the local stations to Ottawa the other day sort of explaining about some of the other things. And I'm thinking... Oh yeah, I can adding that to his earlier comments. I'm thinking, in some ways, Toronto got a bit of a bum deal when they came into the rugby league. Of course because, they did, because they came in, they weren't members, so they didn't. Yeah. They, didn't they, they weren't. They didn't join as members, so they didn't. Don't have any voting rights for starters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so my my sort of thought process, whilst you know. I, there's probably no excuse for not paying people and things like that. You know, that's another issue entirely. But my yeah. thought process regards this is that, yeah, they've been given a, a really good hand to play and almost expected to, to, to get tons of money in for everybody else, mm-hmm. but without taking anything from the pot themselves. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the thing that we can definitely see is that Perez interview that he did, and I'm glad you brought it up because it's something we've wanted to talk about is, there's a lot of things he unpacked that no one had heard before. Number one, David wasn't the original investor. Uh, you know, there, there was other investors and then the Super League or RFL pulled the central distribution at the last minute and they scared off the original investors. So now Perez is trying to put a deal together. You bring in this exciting guy like David and we've all seen him speak. You know, he's got a lot of money. He buys into the dream and you accept a deal that's a terrible deal. Apparently with a three-year renegotiation period, lots of other things. And I think as you put those pieces together, you can see now why the, de- bad, the bad deal was made. But again, the club didn't choose to go into League One. They didn't choose to start down there. And I think there's a lot of things that happened in hindsight that the Super League and, and Rugby League should have prepared better for. And I mean, you're a long-term time fan. You know the, the missteps that Rugby Leagues and the officials in the sport have in administrators. So I think what I would say is, you know, you had an owner with a bottomless amount of cash seemingly at the start who sunk in 20 million pounds. How are we at this point four years later where things are falling apart that no one in the sport thought, let's make this work because it's good for everybody, right? And then there's misinformation along the way. We still get people complaining that Toronto's taking money out of, you know, Heartland Club's pockets. And that's simply not true. Or, or Robert Elstone came out this week and said, by Toronto not playing, it doesn't actually affect the Sky money. Meanwhile, two weeks ago, when that announcement was made, everyone said, oh, Toronto is going to cost all these Super League clubs money from Sky now. Mm-hmm. And now we've heard that that's not true. You know, and so, you know, the only club I think that has anything to complain about is probably Hull KR because they lost 40,000 pounds, according to Neil Hudgel over there, for bringing their players back early. So there, there you go. We cost someone 40,000 pounds. Maybe that's a gripe to take on the Wolfpack. But at the end of the day, the Wolfpack would have been out 2 million. They lost millions of dollars this year on not playing rugby league. 
do you really think that David Argyle wants this to be his legacy? You know, obviously he's had missteps, but you know, it's, you know, you can't say he meant for this to happen. Right. And I think everyone needs to take a long, hard look at themselves uh, on all sides of it to say, how did we get here when we've sunk 20 million in and now we've got a club, not playing, paying players, not participating. And it's not just COVID's fault. I, I mean, it's, let's address that elephant in the room. I mean, the elephant when, in the room. <laughs> when when you have got players that aren't getting paid, I mean, that's not good for that's not good for anybody, is it? That's not good business. Sort of going forward, people obviously look at this as a as well. You mentioned it as a legacy, really, and you sort of mm-hmm. thinking, well, where 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 does it go from here? Is it is it you know? Can you see David Argyle continuing now, or do you feel he, he has to get out of there for his basically his own? his own health possibly and and also as well the, mm-hmm. the the reputation of the Toronto Wolfpack after everything that's gone previously I think it's either or to be honest like we'll, we'll see there's lots of rumblings in and around the issue with the Toronto Wolfpack model is it works if we have games here like obviously if you're <laughs> a billion like if you're a billionaire you don't have a billion dollars sitting in your bank account you have that in assets and probably not a lot of them are going to be like liquid especially during a covid-19 pandemic where every the market's even like who even knows what the market's doing so if you have you know that liquidity where you can actually you know bring in game day sponsors bring in ticket revenue bring in beer sales like it's a significant amount of money and that's how the club has sort of operated but as soon as you remove that at this point, David Argyle is writing checks on checks on checks, and he's getting no return. So I think, you know, we've seen the community model floated, and it's worked. Like, it, it works here in North America. We've seen it in uh, – there's two CFL franchises who use it. The Green Bay Packers obviously use it. They're a little bit of a weird anonymity. But, you know, it's going to be up to David and the RFL, but if I think David sticks around, there's going to be have to be a renegotiation on that deal. And that's, I think, he's made very, very clear. Yeah, just to kind of add to that, I mean, we we put this out there to tw- people on Twitter is if you had a lot of money, you're a millionaire and you had the option of investing $2 million and getting zero return or not investing $2 million and getting zero return to play 10 games or however many games are left for a season that's going to have an asterisk next to it anyway, would you do it if it was your money? I probably wouldn't. You know what I mean? Like, it, like I get why people are upset about Toronto pulling out, but if you pull out the emotion from it, from a purely business sense, to secure the future of the team, I, I, I can understand it. Now, that loses a lot of credence when you look at the, the other things, which is players not getting paid for two months. Uh, there's been rumors of vendors not getting paid and all these other things. And I think that goes down to the way that David's run the club in terms of uh, how the money's been flowing. But I mean, Scott says that they probably lost three, four, five million this year in revenue from being at home through TV, probably merchandise, the sponsors he would have brought in. David's a salesman. We've all seen it. You know, he gets some guys around a room at a rugby at a, at a game in Toronto, probably takes out a million dollars from their bank account. Boom. There you go. Like, that's how it gets done. And that's what he's been doing for four years. And I think you can say, well, why doesn't David have the money? And I think it is a question to ask is for three weeks now in the headlines, what's a like sell some assets and pay off 200,000 in, in whatever you're owing and catch up and get rid of the headline. That's what we don't understand as fans, um, as fans who are in the know. Um, and that's, what's frustrating, right? It's you have this money apparently. So why not make it, make it whole for the, the players and their families, but also the staff hmm. who do you think is tweeting out from the Twitter accounts or answering emails? There's no furlough program here. Who's getting paid up behind the scenes. That's one thing that's kind of 
you know, ignore it as well. And so I would, I would say, you know, it's disappointing. There's been a lot of trust lost. You look at the story coming out about Ricky Latelli today. We know for sure from talking to some players, some of them are working full-time jobs just to make ends meet. And I think no, no one's really said anything ill about David's character in terms of maliciousness, but it's, we've broken a lot, a lot of trust and, and ruined a lot of relationships. And if I'm a player, why would I sign with Toronto in the future? You know, like I, you can't blame it all on coronavirus. I think it is, it's a legacy thing. And you asked, would David stay on? I think Eric Perez and him coming out this week um, saying all about potential new ownership and this story coming out today. I think it's pretty apparent that David probably won't be there in the future, that for this team to survive and thrive, and to get Super League on board and everything, you bring a new owner in, the slate's clean, you can move forward, right? And I think that's what has to happen. Let's go with that story that you've said about uh, the being potential new investment. Um, yeah. The fact that this comes from a rival club, shall we say, that was in the process <laughs> of being set up in New York. Um, I, I, I'm thinking... How does that sit with you? Is there a rivalry between sort of like the North America and Canada type thing? What, 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 what's the I, what's the relationship? I don't think New I don't think New York would be much of a rival to be perfectly honest. Um, <laughs> if we're gonna if we're gonna say rivalry, it'd be if the Ottawa Aces came in and said they're by Toronto, and then that might be a rivalry. Maybe more towards Ottawa towards Toronto, not the other way around. But I think it's an interesting thing, right? You know, New York City's been somewhat quiet in the last, you know, eight, 12 months. We haven't really heard much. They announced they had the Hilton Hotel near the airport was their sponsor. And we've seen a couple major credit cards. We haven't seen much. Uh, we've seen some merch. Um, and I think if they're, they're probably quite, if Toronto doesn't work, what's the point in New York? What's mm-hmm. the point in Ottawa? Like they, Toronto needs to work to make this viable. And so I think the New York, if they have the money and they can come in and make that clean slate, and now you have two of the largest media markets in the world playing in rugby league, if they're controlled by the same person, sure. Um, that's not a bad thing to be in in the business sense. You know, like those are major mm-hmm. media markets. <laughs> yeah, and and to add to that, I mean, there's a lot of, I, I don't know how much truth is that story. If you look at the article, it's a six articles and, and Matt Shaw is a pretty good, like he's, he's got a good pulse on the Toronto situation. He's been over a few times. He, he's well connected. And I'll say it's a rumor. There's lots of rumors in rugby league. I think, uh, I think you'll see it more likely someone more Canadian based ends up stepping in, to be honest. But my question there to, to fans is who's buying it when they're losing tens of thousands of dollars a day by not playing in Canada, when they have no central funding, no deal in the UK, like this is the chicken, the egg situation. Does the Super League and RFL try and fix or come up with a resolution to attract a new buyer and not lose this potential? Or, and maybe that's why you've heard Ralph Rimmer and Robert Elstone be very positive. The most, the nicest things they've said about Toronto have happened in the last two weeks. You know, <laughs> trying to, like, to be honest, right? They're saying, oh, we totally understand. You know, it's very understandable. We weren't shocked. We thought this might happen. Look at all these. And they're making excuses and they're building it in. And so I wouldn't be surprised to make it more attractive for a potential investor. I think it, I just don't see how David continues running this team. He's lost a lot of money on it. He's lost the faith in agents, players, Super League, the Toronto fans, um, you know. So I just, I definitely think there's truth to what Eric is saying um, about potential owners and why not? I think there's people who could turn it around and, and turn it into a money-making machine with the right, with the right group here. 
Um, and like to carry that on, like the fact Bob Hunter's involved in the club, I think will yeah. bring someone from North America, especially Canada, with interest. He brings that much pedigree into his role. And uh, yeah. One of the things that I wanted to ask, and it's something that has been uh, leveled at the club, maybe by myself, but certainly by other people more, um, is about the development work that's actually going on in Canada that maybe we don't see. Um, But so I wanted to get like a bit of a handle really on kind of like what you've seen, you know, from basically starting off as, as, as fellas who got interested in rugby league and following the Wolfpack, how that story has progressed really, you know, and how you've seen the development of rugby league progress in that area, let, I suppose. Uh, I'll let Scott jump in on the development side, but before he jumps in, I think you got to split into two things. I think you have to split into development of actual players and kids playing the game but then also just development of awareness and engagement with the sport in Canada. So for example, you're getting 10,000 fans, different fans every game to a sport in Toronto that is competing with the Blue Jays on a Saturday or lots of things happening in a big cosmopolitan city. And the majority in the demographics are families, kids, under 40 demographics at these games. You've got a beer garden full of a thousand people drinking on a young, vibrant demographic following the game. I think that's really important to break through and cut through um, the noise in Toronto with professional lacrosse, union, hockey, baseball, um, tons of basketball, every other sport is being played in Toronto. And to be able to cut through, it's a massive achievement. And you wouldn't have done that without putting 20 million in. And I think you've built a foundation, you've cut through. And in that aspect, Toronto's done an amazing job of developing the game and the sport here. Where they've fallen short, and David actually mentioned in an interview a couple of weeks ago, is putting balls in kids' hands and developing future players. Um, some of that, and I'm sure Scott will jump in, but some of it's to do with the actual way rugby league set up in Canada. But also, it's the fact that the Wolfpack were put in a position they had to win to go up and get to a place they could be financially sustainable. They weren't in a place where they could play Canadians to develop and spend five, six years getting to the Super League. They had to get to Super League to make money and bring money in and become profitable. That's the whole, that's not a secret. So if you're not going to say be the RFL and put development officers in Canada and make the Wolfpack pay for them or something like that, or, or work in partnership, there's zero incentive for Toronto to spend money building the game of rugby league in Canada and developing players right now and how they're set up. They had no guarantees to get the super league and they had to get there financially. So it's kind of crass or, or kind of uh, pragmatic, I guess. But you got to think of it that way. Like, and, and you can't really blood kids coming through to try and get to Super League. So that's my opinion from that side of things. But I know Scott Scott's a lot has a lot to say about Rugby League. Well, like, sort of <laughs> keeping on that, you know, you're looking at the quotas. So let's say we have a young Canadian who's 19 who wants to go play Rugby League. Obviously, he's not breaking into the Wolfpack. So now they want to send him on loan. Well, he's now costing a foreign quota spot on any other team. So where is he going to play? They're, they're going to pick up a New Zealand, an Oz guy who wants to come over to the UK, see some success, not some random young, unproven talent, right? So they have to, like, rugby league has to look at, do you want to include these Canadian, US, Jamaican players who are evidently can play? They're a little bit diamond in the rough, for sure. But at this point, there's no benefit because these guys can't come over and make squads unless they have a spot. And with that quota spot, it's not going to work. But on the actual development side, because I know you're very well involved in the amateur side in the UK. So league is sort of a weird place right now. So in Canada, it's dominated by union. 
every single high school in Canada essentially has a union club. So you have a union team in every single high school. You also have, you know, 16,000 playing club rugby separate of high school. So the Wolfpack saw this and then Ontario has a rugby league. They have four teams, I think, but they're not, it's all seniors. It's not, um, not like senior citizens, but like senior players. Um, and <laughs> he didn't really have the network that Rugby Ontario had. So when the Wolfpack came in, they actually partnered with Rugby Ontario to actually get rugby balls in kids' hands. But as they said, they haven't really done enough. Um, they have a very small staff here in Canada, so it really limits their time in that regard. So what are they going to do, right? So like Rugby League's growing. There's kids who want to play. Uh, we've had a lot of DMs from parents being like, hey, you're connected. Like, where can my kid go play Rugby League? And you're like, well, here's the three clubs, like give them a contact. Uh, they yeah. don't see an email back. So they're like, okay, well go play union. At least you can go play rugby. And they have a well-established club system, right? So it's going to take a bit, but I don't think it's the Wolfpack's job to get rugby league as a, you know, actual sport here in Canada, you know, and you have to look at the Canadian rugby league is a complete and other mess at the point. They're trying to rebuild it right now. They had some financial issues when someone stole all their money. You know, that's going to be a concern. Uh, you only have three unions across the pro across the country, BC, Alberta, and Ontario. And now with Ottawa coming in, it's like, okay, so how can we start growing this game? It's a very good game. Um, it looks good on TV. It looks fast, exciting. It's like, it's like hockey on turf, right? So, you know, the Canadians love it. You can see 10,000 people showing up on a Saturday in the summer, which is not an easy task to do. Ask the Toronto Argonauts who have been in Toronto for 108 yeah. years and can't pull 9,000 in the <laughs> CFL. In a so, beautiful stadium, no less. Gorgeous stadium. So <laughs> it's a question of, you know, if the RFL wants to grow the game, you use the Toronto Wolfpack to get kids excited, and then you get a development officer in here that's actually going to grow the game. Like full time year so round in Canada, going to schools, getting communities because the players are only here for, I don't know, 10 weeks of the year, 12 weeks of the year. Yeah. yeah. You know, how are you super, supposed to develop it? And it'd be super easy to make it, you know, like I think I came from BC. So uh, rugby is a fall sport in BC. You make league a spring sport. You have rugby 12 months a year for these kids. It's very doable. Um, and I know a lot of people have these code wars and the history is very established. We're aware but here on the Canadian side, there is no code war that we can see. I have friends in BC who are playing at senior levels um, that are playing league and union, like literally back-to-back -back mm -hmm. games. Um, and they don't care, and people are happy. Um, essentially, the Canadian public wants to play more rugby, but the fact there's no rugby to be rugby league to be played, they go to union. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's going to be a longer – you're not going to see a Canadian in Super League for the next 5, 10 years. And I don't think that's crazy. Um, you have to develop the sport. You have to develop the players and you have to develop an, like either an academy system or you can develop like some kind of a pipeline in, but without the quotas being changed, there's no way that's happening in the UK. So there's the so, question I'll also add, Dave, is you want an academy team, where do you put it? You can't put it in Canada. Who are they going to play? Yeah, yeah. So you got to put it in, in Manchester, right? The Manchester Wolfpack. And then now you've got to ship a whole team of Canadians over to the UK extra costs, extra this, you know what I mean? Like it's, there's a lot of headaches. I think with Ottawa coming in, you resolve, you now have two clubs. You could maybe do some stuff together, Yes, but yeah. it's been three and a half years. It's like, a short well, space I, of time really, isn't it? Right. Like, like it's only been three and a half years. Like the Raptors just won the NBA championship 
and and they've been around for 25. You know how many Canadians they had on the team? One. There's like 15 good Canadians in the NBA in total. Might be a little bit of an under exaggeration, but <laughs> you know, it's that's the that, you know, there's a hundred. I think there's something like a uh, hundred thousand uh, soccer players just in Ontario alone, but look at our men's national team, look at uh, the MLS and all that sort of stuff. So development takes time. And so my point there is you're probably, you, if you're not going to make Toronto viable long-term or you're not going to force them with regulations to so say, okay, you get TV money, but we expect you to do this, this, and this, then we're going to have the same conversation in five years, Dave, and nothing's going to change. We've seen a lot of people come on social media at us being like, you have no Canadians, you have no one to cheer for. But we're used to not cheering for Canadians. Like, Mm -hmm. as Henry said, the Blue Jays occasionally have a Canadian on it. The Raptors have one. The Maple Leafs right now, their top player is American. We don't really care where people come from. If you sort of embrace the city, the, the city will embrace you. So it's not so much of an issue of like, oh, we don't have a, like obviously Quinn's a a fan favorite because he's Canadian, but that doesn't mean we're not cheering for Blake Wallace, right? Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter here. So I think that's a bit of a change in the UK where like people are very proud of their hometown people and they go up in a hometown club. Well, how our sports structure is, you're not really normally playing for your hometown club. It's actually a weird Mm -hmm. thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. But, but to be fair as well, I mean, you could look at Premier League football and how many how many local English yeah. youngsters are playing for, say, example, Manchester City. I can only think of one that's in the yeah. squad, you know, or maybe two at a push. You look at Man United and they've probably got three, you know, like in total. So I, I, I do get that point, you know, that you're making there. And, and ultimately, if your team's winning, I suppose you don't give a hoot where they come like, from. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's why the Wolfpack have kind of gotten away with things for so long, I guess, right? They've been winning. So as soon as they start losing and then you have a, a global pandemic, you know, all the rumor, everything starts coming out, right? So, uh, yeah, it's it's just a bit bizarre. So, so I mean, like, I, as I say, I know I started off initially thinking about it, thinking, oh, no, 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 you can't be doing this. and that. But the more that I'm speaking to you guys, and then again from speaking to Sandy, I can actually understand quite where they're coming from. And it would be, it'd be really unfair to jettison the project after such a short space of time when, conversely, it's took London Broncos 40 years to be mm-hmm. producing their own players down there in London now, you know, which is, is they, don't, they don't have the issues like you would with regards to, um, yeah. you know, quota spots and things like that, like you've, you've already talked of. So I'm sort of like starting to change and thaw maybe a little bit, you know, which is always good. <laughs> and this is, to be honest, this is what I want though. And I want to find out, you know, cause I'd like to think yeah. I'm a fur chap, you know, in all honesty, you know, and I do love to hear it, but you're, you're very right in, in the fact that I, I speak very passionately about, um, you know, development, about the community aspects of rugby league, community game um and you know I, I was delighted that i've had the opportunity to speak to a lot of amateur clubs that i've i've kind of like set up in the last 10 years and they're the most exciting ones to talk to to be honest because it's growing and you know that it's mm-hmm. growing um and we have people like honestly there's a couple clubs uh that are starting and like nicholas muse one of the big guys who's been doing a lot of work in schools but it's just you know when you are doing it by yourself and with not much like you don't we don't really have this Canadian Rugby League Association's not really there mm. like they're there in the background but they're not like a dominant people like you know Rugby Canada who has all this right like Rugby League technically isn't a sport in Canada yet <laughs> I mean I'm, that's true right it's not it's not destined by sport like I forget the department that does it but I assume health Canada, but it hasn't actually got through because they didn't pass financials. 
Right. Okay. So until they pass that through, and then they can start getting, you know, own the podium money or sport Canada money. And then you start getting a little bit more, you know, money flowing into the kids right now. It's a bunch of really passionate, either expats or people who've just fallen in love with the game from going to Wolfpack games who are, who are already connected to kids or juniors and want to get something started. And you're like, okay, this is great. But you know, when you're playing the same three teams, it gets a little boring. So yeah. like, you know, it has to grow and it will, but um, it's going to take some leadership on both the RFL and the International Rugby Football League like union as well. Well, I think what this has shown, it's, it's shown there was a, a number of things that were put in that initial deal, which really needed ironing out. Um, and yeah. for anybody that follows, yeah. and, you know, fair play to Eric Perez, he seems to have sorted that out with Ottawa because he actually has a spot where they're a member because the two Culver are members licensed, didn't mm-hmm. they? You know, but there needs to be some, I, I agree, I think that there needs to be some, some, some real thought process which goes into how the sport of rugby league develops. Where did they see it going, you know? And, and ultimately, do any development clubs do they enter right in the top division then or do they have their own development competition which if you you know you could then have the likes of of ottawa playing against toronto playing against new york playing against belgrade or you know wherever the mm-hmm. wherever the wherever it's decided however it's decided and that if you like is is kind of separate or there's no relegation from that in comparison to anything else then that way you, you're almost protecting those clubs as assets to to yeah. rugby league really unfortunately league's sort of been beaten right because union has we now have the mlr set up here which is major league rugby it's going and you great have, i think 20 clubs now and they're expanding and they're doing great when the when covid19 happened they're like we're going to shut down for the year all players get paid full have a good day and you know the toronto arrows continually are like like okay yeah we're, here's our new signings they have uruguayan nationals they have Argentinian nationals coming up they have a full host of canadians um, the actual league structure works quite well, but now you're like, okay, now you're competing for these spots. Obviously, the Wolfpack are still dominating the arrows in terms of attendance and probably media, but in these other newer markets, you know, like New York now has a team. So they beat, you know, the union side beat the league side breaking up. Um, I don't think Ottawa will get a team anytime soon, but Vancouver is another one, right? So I think it's interesting. I think they should be looking at a development league or like an under 25 league even, mm-hmm on this side um but like again where are these players coming from you have to get them interested if the team that they've been watching for the last three years goes defunct what's the point like i'll go play union yeah i mean that's the big question dave is what have the rfl and super league been doing for the last three and a half years right it's like this is where i flip it a little bit and i say sure the wolfpack are late in payments and, and those are issues but we waited to the last minute last year to know if the wolfpack were going to be allowed in the super league Right. That wasn't, you know, they tried to charge 200, 250,000 pounds for them to enter the challenge cup. They, you know, they put them in league one to completely devastate some part-time clubs. Clubs couldn't come over because players couldn't get off. Uh, or they couldn't get visas because of their past history or clubs didn't have the staff to do visas on time. You know, the visa issue was more so not the Wolfpack. That's the RFL not preparing clubs properly before, right? If you're going to accept a team, but that's the Wolfpack's fault. Uh, you've got all these other issues like that weren't worked out beforehand and the, you know, the RFL and Super League are happy to take the benefits of what Toronto brings, which is an extra 200,000 pounds a team this year, or no, it was even more than that for, for a TV deal. And then they were happy to promote the hell out of Sonny Bill Williams when we're paying the bill for him, you know, and, and so there, everyone's been happy to take stuff from Toronto when they're there. 
And yes, there's been mistakes, but why wasn't anyone thinking about what is our plan five years down the road? Mm-hmm. You know, we, everyone knew that TV deal is coming up with Sky when Toronto came in. So why, if, if you know that they're going to be part of your presentation or the, the, a gem that you put in and they bring in more money, why has no one really thought about it, Dave? Why, why is it just let, you know, the owner put in 20 million and no one's going to plan? What do we have to show for it? You know, and, and that's what's crazy is if I'm running a sport, why am I not saying this owner's got a lot of money? He wants to sink into the sport. Why am I not using him to benefit and grow the game and or grow their footing? And it just, it just, it just insane to me. It's they've been around for a, over a hundred years rugby league. I don't have the number on hand, but I know it's a hundred years because I get told that all the time. One hundred twenty-five this year. One hundred twenty-five years this yeah, year. Yeah. So no one thought to say, "Hey, what's Toronto spending their money on?" You know, we've <laughs> seen this with Bradford. You've seen it with other clubs. You saw it with Lee a few years ago when they didn't get promoted. Um, you know, and you see this all the time and it's what blows our mind. And is that like, we didn't know any better as fans coming in, right? We didn't know any better, but people around super league around the RFL who are paid to know this should have known better, should have known what to do, should have guided the team. And, you know, we, that's, what's so frustrating. You've got an excited, uh, passionate fan base in Toronto and even in the UK that's supporting Toronto, you know, they had 200 fans to an away game, which is massive for a team based in Canada that, you know, was their first year in Super League in one of the games this year. So yeah. all I would, it's just, it's just crazy. It's, for me, it's crazy that the Super League and the RFL uh, don't, haven't had a plan. They don't have a plan. And I guess that makes us a proper rugby league club now, Dave, because we're at the center <laughs> of a rugby league scandal. And now we're complaining about the, the Super League and the RFL. Um, it's just... It's so frustrating and, and we're not going to come on here and defend the club for late payments. And we, you know, you can see our tweets and, and our, our posts about it. And we've gotten in our fair share of fights with the Wolfpack fans. And, and the point is the owner needs to clear and pay his bills, but then what, you know, then what happens if, if they are, if they'd given Toronto that 200,000 bridge loan, which I still think it's a little weird that they didn't. And, um, if they'd given that, that just kicks it down. Maybe three, four games into the restart, Toronto still has this issue, right? So I think if you, whatever happens moving forward, you have to think about long-term. And and Rimmer and Elstone have come out and said, yeah, we're looking beyond this year. We're looking beyond 2021. That's great. That's exciting. But what does that mean? And and if you want Toronto around, you can't put them in the championship. You can't really relegate them. You got to keep them in the Super League. You need new ownership. But time's ticking away. You know, the season's going to be over before you know it. And, you know, you just, it's just, I don't know. It's, there's no answers here, Dave, other than frustration and just wishing that the club could get its act together and really sort it out. And it's not really the club. It's the owner. The owner needs to get it together because there's, there's countless great staff and players that are the ones who are bearing the brunt of all of this. I think Henry nailed it on the top of the head. Um, You know, it's a frustrating thing as a fan, uh, especially, if anyone knows the history of the Ottawa Senators, we have an owner that everyone hates here and has, you know, had issues with payments in the past as well. We don't hate David Argyle by any means, but, you know, you have to pay your bills, pay your bloody staff, pay your bloody players, and let's just move on. We'll see what happens with Super League next year. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, well, we're going to be disappointed. That's for sure. Um and, you know, it's such a, such a mess of a season to start with. Um, and just, like, you know, I think the prime thing, I feel bad for the guys, A, who aren't getting paid, and B, that can't even play. Like, Blake Wallace is stuck. 
he's he's he can't go to the UK. He can't play, so he's just sitting at home. Um, in Canada, in Canada, <laughs> which is funny, you know. And I I just like there's so many times we have to shake your head. My favorite story of the of the Toronto Wolf Pack was the fact that Reese Jackson, our first year, played for Canada. He was the captain of the, the Canadian Rugby League team. The RFL did not consider him enough Canadian to be part of the Toronto Wolf Pack as a Canadian. So just like peak rugby league, right? But no, we love it. We love the banter. Um, you know, me and Henry Matthews were supposed to go over into the game in York before COVID hit. We were pumped. Um, I was excited to go see the wonderfulness that was uh, the New York stadium. But as we know, it would have been played at New York stadium because they're never going to have a stadium that's ready. <laughs> um, but Hey, we're here. We're, uh, we're not going away anytime soon, hopefully. And uh, we hope to host the rest of super league in Toronto at some point. G- gentlemen, it's been an absolute delight having a chat with you and finding out all about uh, your thought process regarding the Toronto Wolfpack and everything that's gone on. It certainly cleared my mind up uh, in a couple of areas. Uh, just for further, I suppose, ammunition, I can say, uh, we're now going to hear from Sandy Shipley, who I spoke to earlier in the afternoon. I just refuse to um, get involved in the history mm-hmm. of the sport that I just... I feel that a lot of rugby fans are fans of a club and not fans of the sport. Um, And that's one thing I really find is struggling to understand is that a fan is a positive experience, Mm -hmm. but all you see on social media is negativity. And, you know, I used to like Formula One when I was younger. I then was getting so frustrated with Schumacher and, 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 and Ferrari that I was getting so negative watching it. I stopped watching it because mm. it was taking too much, it zapped any energy I had. And it's amazing how rugby league fans can be so negative and keep going. It's like, life's short. We're here on a part-time basis. You know, we're not here forever. And people seem to choose to be negative about things no sport is perfect look at look at baseball they can't even get that right you know this team's pulled out for a few for a few games because of covid you know it it happens everywhere you know people are criticizing how they're allowing baseball to carry on when they're not having a bubble you know they're not creating bubbles like in hockey and in basketball Mm -hmm. they've created bubbles and therefore it's safe because they've been isolated long enough therefore you know, they're not meeting anybody else like family or anything like that. They're really in a hotel or a, a resort and there's no engagement with the outside world and baseball. Not done. So he's been criticized for allowing this to happen. He didn't believe that there should be a bubble. He didn't think you don't need it. You don't need it. And now look what the sport is. You know, my question is how many games can you postpone before there is no baseball? Cause you know, you can't play the sport in December. Yeah, yeah. And it's already like postponing. I think Toronto Blue Jays had two game, two series postponed. So like, how far can you go? Um, so like I said, no, no sport is perfect, but rugby league is very unique in that way. Where <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, people stick by for negativity. It's like wow, it's uh, yeah. You know, it's, it, it, it's amusing. <laughs> so so let, let's come at it from an angle. You know, you've mentioned a couple of things there that, you know, I wasn't aware of. You know, obviously that sort of North American, Canadian sort of culture yeah. with regards to, you know, things like your, your, your baseball and that type of stuff. Yeah. So I quite like 
almost like that reflection, you know, because obviously you guys know what has worked over there for, for years and years and years. We've known, or we've thought we've known what has worked for rugby league for years and years and years over here, even though if you look at it, that footprint hasn't generally grown that much from basically the base. So I guess what I was really sort of coming from is is sort of like your views as a fan, you know, and into sort of like how Toronto have handled this situation because, as you mentioned, there's been other sports there that that have have kind of like put the whole thing on hold, hasn't there? Yeah, and um, like I said, the situation Toronto are in at the moment, and like I said, I won't defend the late payments. I'm not, you know, I'm not that that's strong. You just don't do it. What I'm defending is people's um, attitude towards expansion in North America. You know, these people have not even been there. So what right have they got to comment on something they've never experienced? You know, as if they're experts, you know, unless you've gone there, you don't know what we say when we say the, grow, the game has grown. You have to be embedded. It's like, Brit- it's like Canadian fans coming to the UK until they experience how UK games are like. They won't understand. People say, you know, say, oh, oh, it, it, you know, the atmosphere is not the same. It's very old attendance. You know, it's not, you know, they, they or they comment on Wakefield or even Huddersfield. They go, oh, wait till you go to Wakefield. You'll know it's a, it's a hole or whatever the word is. Now, I can't comment because I've not even been there. You know, I, I will not agree to that conversation of someone's opinion of a stadium if I've not been there. So what right do these people have thinking that they know everything because they've not actually been there. Tell me and that's about... how I've always been in life is unless you've experienced something yourself, you've got no right to comment genuinely like without a, a basis to it, you know, what people read or what people think they know is what's on social media. And guess yeah. what? Negativity always sells. Tell me about the Toronto experience then. What's a match day like? You've been over, you've been to matches here in the UK as well. How do how does it compare? Can it compare? Lamport is definitely more of a party, party scene. Um, it's an event. And when I say event, it's not just going to the games. Like I've been to a lot of games here in the UK and it's pretty much you go to the game. There's a little bit of entertainment before for kids if, they're, if, they're, if they decide to do something. But generally, it's just you go to the game, then you go home, and that's it. At Lamport, the event starts an hour and a half before, and there's like music, there's just just things going on, the vibe is there. And then you have the game, and people are still relaxed. They talk, they walk, they go to the beer garden. It's not just sit in your seat the whole time. It, it, it really is just, I'm here to have a good time. And, you, and you, you laugh, you know, when the away fans are there, they have a good laugh. They love to introduce them to more things. And, you know, the Canadians are very helpful in giving them tips of where to go and what to see. And they do embrace the away fans. And they're like, oh, my God, you're being nice to us. I'm like, well, yeah, why wouldn't we? You know, it's like in baseball. I, I've seen so many baseball games. And I could have a, a Red Sox fan next to me. I wouldn't dare think of being negative towards him, even though we might be losing. We just have a good time. Because that's what sport is. You know, life in general it's quite stressful, you know, work and family. So when you go to a sports game, you really just want to switch off and just concentrate on the game, concentrate on the atmosphere and just have a good time. And then you've got your halftime entertainment. So you had the wrestling, you had the um, medieval times, you had like b- barrel stuff. It was just so much fun. And then 
afterwards, there's a DJ, the beer garden. It really is. You can spend the whole day from like 12 o'clock till at least 8 o'clock p.m. It really is. And, and, and the, the value in tickets. So the, the, the amount of money you pay, it definitely is the cheapest to any Toronto sports teams because mm. Toronto sports teams are obviously very expensive. So as a family, I've got three kids. You know, it's it's good value. You get a lot of it because it's it's not as strict. So the kids can walk around and just do what they want, get a a, a freezy or a hot dog, or it's, it really is a safe environment, especially with 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 family. One of the things that uh, you know a lot of people have said when they've come back from Toronto is that they've really enjoyed that experience, like you were saying. So I think that's certainly something that could really be sold on the back of it i'm interested as well though because with the model that toronto have approached um and i've heard eric perez talk about how he's going to be approaching things differently in ottawa with it being like almost a money ball and picking i suppose the best value player for the i suppose as least money as they can pay which if you look at how david argyle's gone about it he seems to have gone big yeah i mean their approach is very different and what i'm trying to understand is i think what David said, what they had was they have a five-year plan to get to Super League. Now, North Americans are very used to top elite sports. That's where you grab the attention from kids. It's just, that's what we're used to. If you look at all the the mainstream sports, they're all top level. There isn't that because there's no relegation and stuff. You just are aware of the top teams like the Raptors and, and, and baseball, the Jays, et cetera. So I think my view was in order for it to grow in terms of its popularity and in terms of marketing and investors, you need to be able to get to Super League quickly enough to still be to grab that attention. Mm. Because I think if we took too long to get there, I think it, it might have not have grown so well now. Obviously, you need big names to attract you know, people's interests, you know, we, we live in a very social media world. It's all about names and Toronto are the pioneers. And what people don't realize is that when you're a pioneer in any industry, whether it's, you know, the Apple with the phones or anything like that, or even Dyson for the vacuums, when you're a pioneer in something, you're going to get it wrong and sometimes badly wrong, you know, who thinks that you're going to start something? How many businesses in the UK or around the world, you know, start a new business and they they do everything perfectly? I mean, I started mine five years ago. I wish I could change what I've done two, three years ago because it was a waste of money, mm-hmm. you know, but you don't know. And none of us as fans know exactly what it's like to be the first to try something. And when fans try to compare Toronto Wolfpack to Paris and Wales, they're comparing apples and pears. You cannot compare the city of Toronto and the ambition to grow into North America like Paris and Wales. It's just, just it makes no sense. So Ottawa are going to be learning. They've learned, obviously, what Toronto, they looked at Toronto's approach and, and he is taking a different approach. You know, he doesn't have to go that quickly because the footprints in North America have started. You know, and once somebody starts you then can kind of tag along to that because it's already there, you know, and people don't realize how much Toronto Wolfpack are now mainstream. Obviously it's not as big as the other sports, but more people know about it because of the million pound game in October. 
that clear that was a huge huge win in terms of the awareness of the um, sports team and let's be honest you know uh, as far as social media and rugby league goes Toronto have been making waves haven't they you know so they'll have been looking at how other sports have entered that market you've got five million people in a city which is a huge amount of people to aim at isn't it but like I said, social media, you don't have to be in that country to be following it. You know, you have Raptors fans based in the UK. You have Blue Jays fans. So the social media makes the world smaller. It really makes the world smaller. And it makes you feel like you know that team very well or that celebrity very well because it does make, you know, you're, you and I, when we were growing up, you know, we would write a letter to our famous, you know, to a famous player and you'd never hear from them. Now you can actually interact with these people. So it makes the world feel smaller. And, you know, the potential for us to grow even more in a market that has over 300 million people living it who have got sports in their DNA. I mean, North American sports go to, if anybody's ever been to an NFL game, a baseball game, a a basketball, any game, the fans really embed the sport fully. It's not a part-time thing. And that's why I know it, Toronto and any other club can work in North America if it's done properly. Mm-hmm. But like I said, if you are the first to do something, of course you're going to get it wrong. Mm. Whoever thought it was going to be perfect, do I think some things could have been done better? Of course. But I'm not the one and, and no fan of any club, whether you're a Leeds Rhinos fan or anybody, can tell us or the, the team what they could have done better because no one knows how difficult some people have made it for them. You know, we weren't in those meetings and them saying, no, we won't help you with that. You know, so I think people, the righteous attitude that we've had in the last three weeks has been very hurtful because they make it as if their club's better. But since I've been following the Wolfpack, I've seen a lot of clubs screw up big time without a COVID situation happening. So I'm trying to be fair and say, look, I'm listening to you. I like to have debates, but I don't need people throwing rocks as if they are better because they're not. And to be fair to to be fair to rugby league, we've had our first share of rocks thrown over the years. It was a sport that was born, to be honest, because of rocks being thrown and and, and people wanting to get paid for taking time off work. That was originally how it all came about. So, um, you know, it's interesting hearing that sort of viewpoint as well. How have you found actually being accepted? You know, like at, at grounds. Do you find say like you come to a, a game in 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 Wigan? Or- Someone bought me a pie. It was like because they heard about my pie challenge and they actually. She said, I'm going to buy you a pie. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So I got a pie bought me at Warrington, at Wigan. It was like, and Leeds. was like, oh, thank you. I could, you know, it was just because they want me to rate their pies. It was really funny. <laughs> but it was a joke initially. So when I, when I took the picture of Salford eating a pie at Salford and I was disappointed it was only half filled, I just, I did a joke tweet about the pie and I said, oh, I might do a, a pie tour and see what other rugby grounds are like. That is my most popular tweet in all the tweets. It has something like 70,000 impressions. I've never seen people comment so happily about something but pies. You've brought- so then when I kept on going, it's like, how did you rate this pie? And I'm like, oh my God, people are really following me to know how the pies were. <laughs> You've brought the rugby league world together. You've brought the rugby league world together by pastry. 
That's where it is. <laughs> well, I did say, I think I found a solution to every argument between the RFL and Super League and Rugby League fans is just give them a pie. It seems to all make people happy. <laughs> you know what I mean? But honestly, it was such a a shock to my understanding. I'm like, oh my God, it's a pie. I'm talking about a piece of pastry and a filling. But the the happiness I found in people who just love to talk about and eat pies. So yeah, it was, it's a shame I couldn't continue, but yeah, but yeah, it was, uh, it was funny. You've already, you've already sort of spoken really, haven't you, Sandy, regarding sort of some of the negativity that's been sort of like pushed towards the, the Wolfpack's way over these last three weeks. And, you know, I'll be honest, I've been pretty critical of stuff that's gone on uh, as well. You know, um, obviously, like you were saying, I haven't been over to Canada, so I've not been able to experience it myself. It's great getting this this chance to have a chat with fans from the club to actually tell me what it's like, because I need that as well, I think, to be able to so I'll, talk I'll, about I'll, it. I'll give you some examples. So um, so rugby league in Canada is in class as a professional sport at the moment, um, and therefore it's difficult to get a non-professional sport in the education curriculum. You can't just put a sport in. So... Um, so what a few Wolfpack fans have done, they've actually on their own with their own pocket money, with their own money, they've actually gone and done level one coaching. And they've now been doing some rugby league, I guess, um, skills and so on in classes. Now, these are fans that have never seen the game before, fell in love with it while watching the Wolfpack and wanted to do something and so my friend Nicholas, so he, he did the coaching. He's a teacher in Barry. Um, he's also been involved in the masters and there's other clubs. So my friend Andrea, her daughter plays um, rugby league in their local club. So it is growing, but people have to understand that you need time to grow in anything. You know, you're not, it says, Oh, you don't grow your own players. Well, where do you want them to come from? It's a new sport to a certain extent, um, you have to get, the new generation of, of fans, or the new of kids, they aspire to be bigger and better. You know, we don't, they don't live in, in our society where when we were a kid, where just playing for your local club is an, is an accomplishment. Hmm. You know, the kids, you know, I've got three, they look at social media and they think, you know, what happens in Canada or the U S or anywhere around the world is possible because they're so they're so close to all these celebrities and sports people. So not just playing for your own club is is enough. Kids need to be aspired for greater and better things. So when I see Nicholas and others who fell in love with sports and actually are trying to actively do something, that's when I love that. I mean, I'm lucky I live here, so I get the best of both worlds. But my kids, they play rugby league here. But imagine saying, do you know what? I can go and have a game in New York or I can have a game in Toronto. If you live in Lee or Featherstone or, or anywhere, a small little, you know, a six-year-old boy, he might say, I don't want to just play in the UK. I want to play in, in fascinating places because I'm aware of them because of YouTube. You know, my Ethan, he knows about Japan because of something he watches on YouTube. He has no idea where Japan is, but he thinks it's great. He wants to go there. And that's, that's what we need to do is, is, is look at the expansion side, not just about, you know, how can we have more clubs here, but 
as adults, we've got a responsibility to create those stepping stones to what our new generation of kids are used to. They're not used to just looking at, oh, I live in Leeds, which is a great city, but my kids don't just see Leeds, they see the world. Where when you and I, we had no social media, we only knew what we saw in the news. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that was our big world, wasn't it? Now with social media, the world is so much smaller. We have a responsibility to actually help them get there. And if expansion in North America, which is very exciting, if you look at all the sports that they have, the NFL, it's very glamorous, you know, and it's hard work. So the NFL have now got a base in London. They have an academy. So they want to try to attract British players to do an academy to try to bring them to the NFL. So it takes time. And that's all we ask. And yes, we might not promote it all that we do, but they do a lot for the community and charities. And like I said, fans are taking control and want to be involved in it. And for a new market, you don't really see that. So for those people who are kind of like sat by the keyboards and when this all new, all this news came out, they were like, right, Toronto should be out of the league. They shouldn't be allowed back in. Uh, it's all gone wrong. We knew it had happened, blah, 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 blah. And you were saying the negativity, negativity, negativity. What would you say to those people? I would say look at soccer in North America. I know it's a completely different sport, but bear with me with this analogy. So, and, and I'm saying... Obviously, rugby league is smaller, so just put it in percentage-wise. Soccer, so the U.S. hosted the World Cup in 1992. It went so well that we want to start our own league. They started with 10 teams, and for the first time five years, there was a loss of $350 million. That's crazy money. But North American sports executives and investors, they know that there'll be 10 years of loss before they can actually make money. That's just the business. They are now on 26 teams. They've got two new ones starting next year, and each one had to pay $200 million just to get in. Do you think that these executives, when they got to year five, like we've lost 300 million, let's call it quits. No, because they can see past the, you know, over there, they could see that actually it takes time. And this is soccer. So soccer is gr- so much bigger, but yet it took them that long. So we don't need to be as big as soccer in North America. But what I'm saying is using the positive planning and opportunity, you know, you've got a group of people who just love sport, but why wouldn't you want to tap into that? And yes, it needs to be done structurally. That's fine. It needs to have a, you know, a plan, a, a really a good plan to manage the process, et cetera. But to just say, no, there's no expansion of America. It won't work, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, well, why not? Mm-hmm. And no one ever answers that. They talk about roots, you know, they, they, they talk about, you know, we need to focus on um, the roots levels, you know, with the kids. I'm like, that's fine. But these, but to attract kids to want to play the sport, you need to have something for them to grasp onto. And like I said, no offense, but telling a six-year-old in London, for example, or in Nottingham who might want to play rugby league, oh, um, yes, I want to play rugby league. And the furthest I'll go is St. Helens. Nothing wrong. But my point is the new generation 
do not know anything that is just the UK. They see the world as their oyster. And why shouldn't they? And I just feel that the amount of negativity should be actually changed and actually do... How many of these player um, fans actually do something? You know, instead of turning all these negative comments, contribute. Go to your local clubs, do something. But the negativity on social media does not attract investors. Why the hell would they want to get involved in a sport where all you hear is swearing? It doesn't, in any business sense, if you have a business that has demotivated staff, it's not really attractive, is it? And that's just in a basic small business point of view. So for me, I'm trying to say, look, it can work. We just need you to to have faith in us because we know what that world is like. Well, you know, I mean, I mean like oh, over the course of this conversation, I, I can honestly say you're not too far away from my way of thinking. It's just I'm sort of almost reversed to it being starting at the top. So but that's a different culture, isn't it? Where basically it's a top-down attitude, whereas we've always looked at, well, just start your grassroots and get the kids interested, which is a long, far longer-term plan, isn't it, that? Yeah, and the thing is as well, for example, people say, well, you don't belong in Super League. Hold on a minute. We started from the bottom and worked our way up. We followed the rules. And and, and if anybody keeps keep on saying, oh, they bent the rules for us, well, ha- had they done that... I think we would have been up here quicker and they would have given us more money, for example, or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So for me, I don't, I will never, they would not be in the the situation that they're in now in some elements, had they had the support from different areas. So for me, it's, you have to, so Catalan, I've been told, went straight up to Super League. They did, they did. They went in 2006. Yeah, that's what I was told. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So we didn't do that because we were told you have to start at the bottom. And guess what we did? We start at the bottom and then we get criticized because we got, we were going through so quickly. What do you want us to do? We don't seem to ever win. We then get to super league and they're like, Oh yeah, but you can't have your, your own money. So we earned that. And yet they took it away. You know, it's like saying to a kid, Oh, you know, do your homework. You know, I know you're really struggling, but do your homework and then I'll reward you. And they go, sorry, I'm not going to do that. You wouldn't want that happening to you. Why the hell do you think it, it's fair for anybody else? You know, I always been thinking you treat others as you want to be treated. And clearly that is not the motto of some people, mm-hmm. you know, and had we gone straight to Super League, we wouldn't be in this problem probably because we went straight up and therefore the commercial, you know, sponsorship would have been a lot quicker because we were in the elite already, you know, so it is hurtful that people who were ready for it keep on throwing this negativity i'm thinking but we did everything that you that people have told us to do we earned our our place and yet people are just waiting for it and yes i'm getting used to it but i shouldn't have to and also the one thing i really i really struggle to understand is this attitude of we are a minority sport don't worry, we are a minority sport. This is bound to happen or whatever, that kind of thing. Why should a fan accept we're a minority sport? Who in their lives says, oh, I'm, I, I do this as a job. That's it, you know. That's not much of a life, is it? If you just think that you're just doing something, but you always want to strive for more. 
you know, why should fans just accept we're a minority sport? Netball is probably getting more advertising and more TV appearances than rugby league. You know, we should, as fans, should say, you know what? Yes, we are minority, but you know what? If we work hard and we support each other, we can actually become one of the best. It's never going to be a football or maybe even a cricket. I don't know much about cricket. What I'm saying is we've got so much potential to grow, with, to go up within the, the ladder of popular, popular sports. But I keep on hearing things like we are a minority sport in this country. We are a global sport. Well, you can't be global if you're only playing in Australia and the UK. From what I understand, global means around the world. Unless in the UK it means something completely different. Who knows? You, know, you cannot say you're the world's greatest sport if it's only played in two places. And when I try to have this, and I think I'm, I, I think you can say I'm fair on Twitter. I'm not, you know, I'm, I like to debate and I'm not insulting anybody. But when I ask questions like, why do you just accept that you're, a, a, I guess, a low popular sport in the UK? Or why are you saying that you're global, the world's best sport, but yet you're not allowing, you're not allowing with your negativity for us to try to expand it to other countries. And we've got the World Cup coming next year. What a great opportunity to actually showcase the best. But I, I just don't, I don't, I can't see fans doing that with the attitudes that they that, that they have mm. you know i'll do whatever i can to promote rugby league in canada with the canadian the, with the ravens you know they're going to be based in leeds so it's good for me so you know because we need to aspire then we need to inspire the new generation we need to sex up the sport because that's the new that's the way pe- things are done we can't do stuff like we used to do 50 years ago because Rugby league is no longer a community sport. It can't be for its survival. Sports are not businesses. You know, rugby league will always have an element of community. It will always have that because that's the, that's the heart of the sport. But from a longevity point of view, it has, it has to be commercialized because that's just the way the rest of the world go. Why, sh- why is everybody else doing it in every other sport like netball and, and all these other sports? And yet, we're not doing that with rugby league when actually there's so many elements of rugby league that is exactly what North Americans love about sports. The, the, the impact, the speed, there's so many of these elements that attract us to hockey and NFL and whatever. And yet you, you, you're, you stop, you, you're trying to stop people from enjoying it. I find that really utterly confusing. You want the world to enjoy it, but you you don't want them to really. I've read, you know, podcasts with other rugby league people who actually are in the sport, either as a club owner or whatever. And I understand, you know, Super League need to be on TV in order for the other clubs to get their get a portion of it, which I didn't know. I only learned that this week. But for me, it's yes, I'm learning. It it was screwed up many times before. And the impression I'm getting now, this is I've only been following this sport for not many years, is that they wanted said, right, we'll allow Toronto to come in, but you do all the hard work. And I'm just going to cross my arms and either say, I told you so, it's not worked, or I'll go, ha, you see, if it weren't for me, 
you wouldn't have been able to be so successful. That is how I've interpreted the last two weeks. And it is very frustrating because like I said, the people who invested a lot of money for soccer, they knew it was a long-term plan. Soccer was not, especially in America, there's, there weren't a lot of Europeans in, in the US as in Canada. There's a lot like Portuguese, Italians, a lot of those in, in Canada. So to try to grow a new sport in 1993, they had no crowds, hardly any crowds in the first two years. They weren't attracting the crowds into the games. And yet they carried on because they knew it takes time and you have to lose in order to get your money back. And I think what's wrong is that no one supported Toronto. They wanted them to do it and they just waited. And I think, and the thing is at the moment, Toronto had no help from anybody, even during the pandemic, you know, Toronto couldn't apply for furloughing Canada because the Canadian government said no professional sports are allowed to get support, not even CFL. And that's been going on for a gazillion of years. You get to the UK, ye, everybody can have it, apart from if you're a foreign company, which Toronto is a foreign team. So Catalan also couldn't have any furloughing support from the UK government, which is fair enough. I'm not saying they should have. And also the RFL were given what, 16 million as a loan. Any club could have used it if they were UK owned, which again, Catalan and Toronto aren't. So you tell me, cause I'm not, you've been around, I'm not saying you're old, but you've been around this, the, the sport longer than I have, which sporting team from any division would have survived with zero money coming from anywhere. Sponsors weren't paying because there were no games. They had no sky money at all. So that 1.2 million is it plus R200 that they got from Toronto. So they got one, what 1.4, they got nothing of that. You tell me who would have survived. Who? It's almost like being expected to go out into a boxing ring with both arms tied behind your back, and yet you've still got to win. And 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 actually, you're fighting against the mouse, who the mouse will probably bite you, and then you'll lose anyway. Do you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> I just I just feel frustrated. Like I try to be fair, and I'm like I said, I'm not defending anything we've done wrong. Of course, I expected things to go wrong. When you're the first of anything, of course, you're gonna go wrong. You know, if you. If we all knew a pandemic would have happened, I'm sure they would have planned for something. You know, Bob Hunter, you know, his knowledge of sports management in that industry, he's been around the Toronto sports scene for a long time and very respected. Had he known that there was going to be a pandemic, he would have put things in place. You know, but guess what? We didn't know. You know, no club knew. And even Leeds Rhino said what they're losing Three million in 18 months. But yeah, people expect Toronto because in their minds, Toronto have always said that we're going to be the savior of the sport. That's not, we've never said that. We do believe Toronto have a place in growing the sport. That I have no doubt about. And those who've actually been can see what's been done. We were getting bigger crowds than some UK teams that have been around for a hundred years. 
And yet Toronto have got seven professional sports teams. And yet our fan base was growing year on year on year. You know, Huddersfield, for example, they have a football club, a football team, and they have the rugby team. How are their numbers growing in comparison to football? Are they static? I don't know the answer, but the question is, Toronto is one of those sports cities that it really is a sports city. There's a lot of sports cities in the world, like New York, but they have two of everything. They have two hockey teams. They have, you know, they have multiple teams, two baseball teams, and therefore you have a divide between fans of different clubs. But Toronto have got one team representing an entire city. There aren't that many in the world. They've got seven professional sports teams. And yet, Toronto have been able to grow from its first game in Toronto. Every year, there's more and more and more and more with an average of 9,000 last year. And then we got, I think, 13 or something at the final. How many clubs can do that here? And yet, they only play half the time there. And they're not based there. They're mainly based here. So if you look at those two um, elements of the sport, they've done a hell of a lot mm. in growing the awareness of the sport in Canada and, and in the Toronto area than many people have done here. And they've been going on for 100 years or whatever it is. Can you see where I'm coming from? I can, like, I can see where you're coming from. I would also ask as well, would you... Does it make any difference? Because I think another thing that's been thrown at them is that basically they're a UK club. I know what you're going to ask. Yeah, they're a UK UK club because they're based over here. All the players are based over here that occasionally gets to play out in Toronto and are out in Canada. Um, Would you like to see um, a, a time in the future possibly when it's actually, it's Toronto's club, the team's based over in Toronto. Do you think that time will come? is to grow a sport like rugby league that is a minority sport like everyone keeps on saying to me you needed toronto to be in a top league in order to get to start the ball rolling because then you can get other teams joining and then you never know it'd be great there was an actual north american rugby league and they can all go but you need to have it'd be great to have an interlink always like in the NFL, they play one game. They, they play a series of games in London. So it'd be great to still have that connection. But the one thing I keep on hearing people is like, you don't have any Canadian players, which I'm sure you've read many times. Now, if we were that bothered about, of course, we want Canadian players. We want the sport to grow. But again, it's a generation thing. It's going to take a generation to grow. And it's going to be extremely difficult to get Canadian players at Super League level, for example. They don't, they're not under the carpet that I know of. It's called development. It takes a while to get there. But the thing is, if we were that bothered about where players come from, the Toronto Raptors would not have fans. Because I think we've got one Canadian in that team. The rest are from all over the world. One's from Spain, got one from Africa. You know, people don't care where the players are from. What we care is that they do a good job in representing our city. You know, and you need to get the team to a level where it's doing so well, it's grabbing the attention. Mm. You know, who grabs more the attention? A team that's doing well or a team who isn't? 
in any sport. It's because of Toronto that I'm into rugby league and so many more people are. And we, we just want to be part of it, you know. And the, the early days, we weren't as welcome at stadiums. You know, it was very, not harsh. Some people were worse than others, but generally there was a, not hostility, that's too hard, but there was a, definitely a wall, a disconnect. A between, Yeah, between the exciting, loud people and the ones who are just sitting there. You know what I mean? And slowly I started bringing some expats along with me because apart from London, there isn't anything um, around the country that brings people together. So obviously Canada and London, that's the big gathering. But you have 80,000 Canadians living in the UK from Scotland, Ireland, you know, Birmingham, not all over. And so I started using the game as a way of, look, I'm going to this game. Come with me if you want. And it started to grow because you didn't have to be a sports mad fan. You would come to, to have a chat with other Canadians about anything, have some donuts because we would bring donuts with us. Um, and then you'd watch the game and then you kind of talk again. So it was, it was just a good, it was just like being home in a way on how we would interact with each other. Mm-hmm. And so the club di- wasn't just a club, a rugby league club, just like Lee and Featherstone and Huddersfield, they are a community team for them. That's how they were raised. Toronto Wolfpack is our community here in the UK. That's what it became. And to see people be so negative against the team or the idea of expansion, it's like they don't realize that this team isn't just a team. We created our own little community that we felt that we could be part of. And we met some amazing people. And people, as they went to Toronto, they come back, oh my God, Sandy, it really you really have to be the kind of, you have to go to see what I mean. Now I know what you mean. And um, so, yeah, so we were upset, but not because it's a rugby club. It's a team, you know, we're not used to having approachability with professional sports teams. That doesn't happen in anywhere in North America. And it was a weird concept going to a game and the players just walking towards you. I was like, why are you cut? I remember my first game, QLT just came in and was like in front of me, like, why is he talking to us? Like, he was just like really bizarre. And um, so, Stephen, the photographer, took a picture. Or, Fui Fui Moi Moi. It was just like, it was a really bizarre. I'm thinking, did that just happen? He's a professional. It was just, yeah, in my head, it just could. And then he got used to it. And you're thinking, that is a truly great experience, you know. I've got three kids who um, they love rugby league now. And, you know, I'm so grateful that they have been able to experience that honesty of the sport, that side of the sport that, you know, I grew up watching these professionals that are on, you know, on these high platforms. You can't touch them. You know, even if there was a meet and greet, it was all orchestrated. You know, it was it was never approachable even though you might be in a queue for three hours then you you say hello you sign and then you go there's nothing so that's what I grew up with so now I've got the opportunity for my kids to be per really like integrated into a sport 
in from a fan's or as a child, we all had our you know <gasps> our idols in whatever industry of song, music, TV. And they don't realize that the kids in Canada, and even mine here, they are finding that. And then, and, and you know, kids are wanting to play rugby league. You know, there's a, there's a place in Barrie where they've actually started rugby league. There's over a hundred, and the Wolfpack players went there, and and they're like, I saw Liam, like I saw Ricky, you know, playing in the field at Lamport, and now he's here. You know, for these little kids, they're they're giants, you know, in, in something that they love. And it just hurts that they're, that people just feel like it's okay to take it away because for them, Toronto Wolfpack is just the name on, on, on a, a spreadsheet or something, but actually they've done more than just be that they've done a lot in terms of opening the hearts of a lot of Canadians and expats here that are bringing people together. Yeah, I think you'll agree. Great points raised by all my guests there. So thanks to Henry, Scott and Sandy. Since we had those conversations, the story's moved on even more with uh, Super League putting out that statement saying that they were withdrawing the participation agreement which the Toronto Wolfpack originally signed. And um, it does kind of leave the whole future of the club up in the air as it stands at the moment as I'm recording this. Um like I say, my whole thought process has been changed. And I think as well, it's also got me thinking about something that I've spoken about really passionately elsewhere, which is how friendly we are as a sport. Okay, you know, here in the UK, we've become obsessed with Brexit. We've become obsessed with almost looking at what we've got and almost trying to conserve what we've got. We've become ultra conservative, in my opinion, in this country. And as a result, that has almost politicised things like rugby league, where we look on people coming from different markets and new areas, almost with a bit of suspicion. What are you interested in a northern sport for? What are you interested in our little game? But I, I, to a degree, I agree with Sandy as well. We've been we've been this little game for far too long. Yeah, I'm proud to come from where I do. I'm really proud to come from Lee. I love rugby league with a passion. I, I love the fact that I can go outside my door virtually and there's kids that will be playing rugby league, you know, not that far away from my doorstep. I, I love the fact that it's so intrinsically engaged with its communities it is a brilliant community sport however we've got to look to be a little bit more we've got to look to expand our borders the things that you know we take for granted in rugby league they're seen as really attractive things for newcomers to the sport you heard sandy there talking about meeting uh Quentin the Lutonga guy, a meeting, Fui Fui Moi Moi. And you can do that in rugby league. You can't do that with other sports and other sports people. You know, just, just think, you know, it's not like you can walk up to somebody from Manchester United and start having a conversation in the street where I'm fairly positive that if you bump into a, a rugby league player anywhere, they'll gladly have a conversation with you because that's just what we are. That is our sport. That is our strength. But yet, we're also so much embedded with our history that to an extent it drags us down it holds us back and it's about time that we looked 
beyond our borders as it stands at the moment. Yeah, there's been mistakes made. Yeah, there's been huge errors made, to be honest. And whilst uh, David Argyle, uh, you know, he's a very wealthy man, he should be paying people. I'm not disagreeing with that at all. And I think that those do bring negative, negative vibes. But I think as fans, we can sometimes rise above that. We've got to learn to be better. We have to make our game more approachable. We have to be more accepting of people. And chatting to the people that I have done, chatting and hearing how passionate the likes of Henry, Scott and Sandia, they've got it. They've got it. They've got the rugby league bug. That's the same rugby league bug that caught me when I was 11 years old and, and hasn't let go and is unlikely to let go until I, I draw my last breath. You know, we have rugby league people now. There's rugby league people in Toronto. Uh, there could be rugby league people elsewhere just waiting for it. We just need to harness it. We need to be better at identifying markets. We need to spend time in them and we need to come up with proper expansion strategies. We need as a sport to be able to, to welcome clubs, but work with them in a structure. So I, I don't know. Is there a long-term plan for expansion in rugby league? The damn well should be after so long, in all honesty. Uh, and I hope that people listening to this will, uh, you know, maybe give the Toronto Wolfpack a, a, an extra thought because they, they've had a, an extenuating set of circumstances that, you know, we, nobody else has had to deal with. And I, I do have some sympathies with them, particularly amongst the playing staff as well. I hope that it all gets sorted out. I'm really... Really interested to see how the Ottawa model goes because Eric Perez seems to be doing things a little bit differently there, doesn't he? He seems to be, you know, building it a bit more uh, bottom up. And he can afford to do it, I suppose, because he can look at Toronto and the mistakes that they made. Uh, but I just think it's a very, very interesting discussion. Uh, and I've loved that you've been able to join me for the last 90 minutes uh, discussing it on Love Rugby League. Uh, so this has been a final Hooter Love Rugby League special and uh, I'll be back again very soon with Adrian Jackson to discuss the best of Rugby League. Uh, remember, you can catch all the news, views and uh, action over on loverugbyleague.com. <laughs>